Hello, and welcome again to the Federated Here and Now podcast. I'm Linda Dissel, Senior Equity Strategist at Federated Investors. And today, I'm joined by Debbie Cunningham, our Chief Investment Officer of Global Liquidity Markets. Debbie, liquidity products saw record inflows in this year's second quarter. What drove that growth? Well, there were three major reasons, Linda. First of all, interest rates are no longer at zero. So this has made cash an asset class again. Ultimately, when we went through the decade of zero interest rates, people used cash because they needed to have liquidity for daily, weekly, monthly purchases. But other than that, it really wasn't something that was allocated um, because of the low return associated with it. But given that we no longer have those zero interest rates and we're at interest rates that are in the 2% range, um, that has worked well as a safe harbor to some degree for, for those that are allocating. Money market rates also look very good versus other short-term liquidity alternatives, especially deposit products. When you look at deposit betas, it's essentially the rate of change for bank deposit products versus what's happening from a rate of change in a market's rate basis. It's as low as it's ever been in a rising rate environment. And granted, we may be ending that rising rate environment now, but nonetheless, um, at 29%, that essentially means for every 100 basis points that the Fed raised, deposit products went up by 29 basis points. Mm -hmm. And that's the institutional side of things. The retail side of the market is even even worse. So um, ultimately, we've had very uh, good growth because of the comparison to that pot deposit product. When we're looking at overall rates now, you're looking at something that from a government product standpoint in money market funds, it's about a 215 to 220 gross yield. Prime products are 233 to 235. And even when you're looking at tax freeze in the muni, muni side of the equation, 140 to 150, all of which are much, much higher than those deposit products. Mm -hmm. The third major reason is basically what I mentioned before, they, the, the liquidity products, money market funds in particular, have been a safe haven in quite volatile times. If you go all the way back to 2018, it was the only one of the, the three major asset classes that actually had a positive return. Wow, that's pretty spectacular. It is. It w and with all this, the global issues and uncertainty that are happening, second quarter, um, you know, change in heart from a Fed perspective, what might be happening from an immigration standpoint, where we are with regard to trade wars, Brexit, how that impacts us, and whether it's Indeed. hard or soft or none. Um, all of these things, I think, came to a crescendo in the second quarter and allowed people to take a safe haven uh, approach, which put them into the liquidity markets. Mm -hmm. So I guess to put it in layman's terms, cash is now king. You know, cash is looking pretty good, even when we're looking at other types of um, fixed income securities. We've got a uh, three-month LIBOR to 215. That's kind of a bellwether for where our prime product yields are. One-year treasuries at a 172. That's pretty um, indicative of where treasury and government products will be going. Mm -hmm. Two-year treasuries at a 160. Ten-year treasuries at a 161. You're getting as much, if not more, of the yield and none of the volatility mm -hmm. that's associated with longer-term mm -hmm. uh, longer yields in the uh, fixed-income market. So it's a great place to be. Yes, great. Well, you know, uh, Debbie, I'm an, I'm an equity lady, and as an equity lady, I, we, we still are very, very interested in what the Fed's doing. Everybody's hanging on every move about the Fed. Uh, not being a cash lady, I'm wondering, 
from your perspective, whether the Fed is in the midst of a mid-cycle adjustment or, actually, its first easing environment in a decade. What has been the effect on money market funds? And what would one or two more cuts mean for liquidity products? Sure. Well, the impact so far has been a direct one. The Fed lowered rates by 25 basis points in July. And if you look at our yields now in the money market industry, they're 25 to 35 basis points lower than where they were um, in the end of the, the first quarter, which is when the adjustments in the marketplace began to ring through. So 25 to 35 basis points lower now. Ultimately, if the Fed lowers rates by another 25 or 35 basis points or 25 or 50 basis points, you're going to see a same direct impact with about a month to six weeks sort of lag. Mm-hmm. From an asset growth perspective, that's basically been the second major impact. The asset growth has been tremendous. So when we look on an industry basis at total prime assets over the course of the um, last year ending at the end of the second quarter, June of 2019, the industry has had a 42% growth rate. Federated assets in the prime sector are up 55%. Government assets on an industry basis up 8%. Federated government assets up 21%. And on the muni side, industry is only up 1%, but federated is up 25%. So uh, the second major impact has been with regard to asset growth. So yield, asset growth. Ultimately, I think from a yield perspective, the the market grew – lazy once interest rates went below 1% and it no longer uh, proved, cash no longer proved to be an asset allocation tool at that point. It was still a liquidity product and it was needed for, you know, daily transactions, but it was no longer an asset allocation. We're a long way off from that. And whether the Fed's uh, most recent cut was an insurance cut or whether it's more programmatic to lower rates, I think nobody at this point thinks that they're going back below that 1% barrier. Well, uh, great. But in the event that we actually are in a declining rate environment, how do you see money market funds faring when compared to bank products? Um, Definitely awesome in the current environment. Because of that deposit beta and the bank's lack of moving interest rates up over the course of the last two and a half years um, in the increasing rate environment, uh, the markets had begun to move away from bank deposit products. Bank deposit products were the place to be in the financial crisis, 2008, 2009. They were 100% guaranteed for a period of time, and um, the markets flocked to them. That larger growth and larger base of assets continued through the zero rate environment, and Mm -hmm. it wasn't until uh, the Fed started raising rates at the end of 2016 that you actually started to see that reverse. Now, at this point, you see deposit rates changing somewhere in the neighborhood of 2 to 10% over the last one to three years versus money market rates changing anywhere from um, 10 to 20%. So uh, larger growth having already happened. In a declining rate environment, that will even grow larger because the banks have already lowered their rates. Uh, mm-hmm. They don't follow interest rates up very quickly, but they do follow interest rates down very quickly. They want that increasing margin, increasing spread on their books. Now, very, very important. Absolutely. It's, and it's important to us as analysts. We like it as, a, as, as credit analysts that are using those banks on a, on a, on a, on a continuous basis. But the yes. underlying customers of those banks are getting 
lower rates because of that. And ultimately, in a declining rate environment, they follow those lower rates down quickly. So at this point, um, we've just begun to see that process occur. And we have seen an, an enormous amount of assets into the industry that if uh, future cycles follow past, will repeat itself with more of that happening. This could be only the beginning of more and more then. Exactly. Excellent. And then finally, an area that's becoming a, quite a lot of interest these days, ESG. We're seeing some liquidity products integrate ESG into their credit analysis. Can you explain what's behind this? And more fundamentally, how incorporating environmental, social, and governance factors into credit analysis works in the world of liquidity products? Certainly. So as a 2A7 money market fund, we are required by the SEC to make sure that all of the issuers that we use within those 2A7 money market funds are of high quality and represent minimal credit risk. So that's the basis that forms our credit analysis process according to what the SEC mandates. Um, the, the ability to do that requires us to look at both quantitative and qualitative factors associated with each of the issuers and the industries that we follow. The quantitative factors are generally very, very cut and dry, capitalization, what the profitability, how the liquidity of the, the, the product is, leverage, that sort of um, mm -hmm. you know, thing that we look at on an issuer basis. But on the qualitative side, it's much more touchy-feely. We try to assess what's happening from a management perspective. We try to look at what's happening from an overall um, uh, social perspective, how the product fits in with what trends are, um, you know, how it might be losing favor. Uh, if it's not a product, if it's a service, how that service is regarded. And that's the key to integration from an ESG perspective. Federated um, has, has a 60% ownership of Hermes Investment Management as of July of 2018, so a little over a year at this point. And at uh, that point, we, we took about a six-month time period to uh, assess and understand what exactly it was that Hermes Investment Management, with their uh, full integration in all of their products of ESG assessments, as well as something that they call EOS, which is Equity Ownership Services, whereby they are engaging their issuers not only on how they currently are rated and ranked with regard to environmental, social, and governance issues, but where they might be going with those rankings and trying to um, develop success stories with those issuers. Uh, so we reviewed that and studied that for about a six-month time period, and then beginning in 2019, we began to in integrate uh, the, the information that we receive from our Herbie's um, counterparts in our London office, that information into what is basically the qualitative assessments that our investment analysts do to continue to help them in their minimal credit risk, high quality determinations. So much like providing or having a new provider of inputs to yes. our credit analysis mm -hmm. process, that's essentially what we're utilizing from an ESG perspective and trying to understand, and it's focused mostly on the qualitative aspects. 
the benefit that we think is um, flowing through from our Hermes acquisition is having that internal to us. So we understand their process. We have internal dashboards that are proprietary in nature. Yes, there are third-party providers that we use, MSCI, Sustainalytics, to name a few. But Hermes is some, some is, is a proprietary t- tool that only Federated has at its disposal. And we think that that, in fact, allows us to um, improve our credit analysis process in a way that uh, accepts the information from them into that, that qualitative associations and assessments. Our one through five rating scale, which is how we internally rank the issuers that we use within our 2A7 money market funds, can either be neutral or or positive or negatively rated or um, you know factored when we look at the inputs that come from Hermes. Uh, generally speaking, we've always used qualitative uh, assessments and reviewed what's happening from an environmental, social, and governance perspective. But the unique aspects of the Hermes input has given us additional insights, and that's effectively how our process of integration has proceeded in our liquidity products at Federated. What we haven't done yet at this point is have a na- is begun a named. ESG money market fund. Okay. And and we may, we may not. It will be driven by client requests, essentially. I think at this point, when we see what's happening from our own client standpoint, mm-hmm. the ESG um, assessments and integration are being driven by the coastal clients. So East Coast, West Coast both have what seems to be more of a unique interest and need in understanding how environmental, social, and governance aspects impact our credit analysis process than maybe some in the Midwest. And when we look at our European operations um, in Germany and Dublin and in the UK, those essentially are much more currently impacted by customers who want to uh, perhaps have a named product. And what does a named product mean, ESG in the name, versus an integrated product, which says nothing about ESG in its name, but in fact has ESG integration into its credit analysis process? What's the difference Mm -hmm. there? And it's essentially, in our opinion, the ESG named product is exclusionary to some degree. So there has to be a way from a from a uh, an SEC requirement standpoint, to count, cut off who we would use from an ESG perspective mm-hmm. in an ESG named product, and rather in an ESG integrated product that doesn't have it in the name, we don't have to have a cutoff below which we won't invest and above which we will. And in fact, maybe we we own some issuers that are below what would be sort of the natural cutoff in the marketplace. But if those issuers are trending upward and improving their ESG footprint, we look at that more favorably than maybe somebody that's currently on an issuer basis above that cutoff uh, in the marketplace, but trending downward. So it allows you flexibility to have the integration approach, mm-hmm. which is what we're taking, rather than the named approach. We will take the named approach, however, if it's client demanded. Well, that's great. Thank you, Debbie, so much for explaining that. It seems that uh, that your group is very far along in this evolving ESG landscape. And it's great to have heard your comments today and your insights on the ever more interesting interest rate environment out there 
and how the, uh, the environment may be shaping up very, very well for liquidity products. So thank you very much for the podcast this day. Thank you, Linda. Thank you for listening, and we look forward to you joining us again on the Federated Here and Now podcast. Views are as of August 22, 2019, and are subject to change based on market conditions and other factors. These views should not be construed as a recommendation for any specific security or sector. Yield information is according to Bloomberg. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Yields quoted are for illustrative purposes only and not representative of any specific investment. You could lose money by investing in a money market mutual fund. Although some money market funds seek to preserve the value of your investment at $1 per share, they cannot guarantee they will do so. An investment in money market funds is not insured or guaranteed by the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation or any other government agency. Bank deposits, unlike money market mutual funds, are FDIC insured. Deposit beta is the change in funding costs divided by the change in interest rates. London Interbank Offered Rate LIBOR the rate at which banks can borrow funds from other banks in the London interbank market. The LIBOR is fixed on a daily basis by the British Bankers Association and acts as a benchmark for other short-term interest rates. Rule 2A7 is a rule under the Investment Company Act of 1940 regulating money market funds. Rule 2A7 imposes various requirements on the money market funds portfolio, including regulation related to maturity, credit qualification, and diversification. Federated Investment Management Company.